As I was looking at the passage for this week, I kept thinking about uh, the Friday Night Lights, um, for those of you who are fans of that TV show, for the phrase that the coach would always uh, say to the team before they went out on the field, which is clear, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. And that uh, TV show came from a movie uh, in, I think, 2004 about this Texas football team who was in the middle of what you might imagine Texas football would be like, a town where all of the pressure is on these young men, where everyone shows up for the Friday night game, and uh, the height of, of, of their life is really this uh, high school football team. And they were under all sorts of pressure, the politics of the town, um, injuries, and they were going out for the last half of uh, their final game. And the coach says to them, to me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. It's not about winning. It's about you and your relationship to yourself and your family and your friends. Being perfect is about being able to look your friends in the eye and know that you didn't let them down because you told them the truth. And that truth is that you did everything that you could. There wasn't one more thing that you could have done. Can you live in that moment as best you can with clear eyes and love in your heart, with joy in your heart? If you can do that, gentlemen, then you're perfect. And I think they think that the um, writers of the TV show then took that statement and came up with this clear eyes, full heart, can't lose, uh, that was said over and over in the TV show. Because the reality is for those football players is they were looking at the politics of their town and the expectations of their family and their friends and all of the pressure that was on them to win and to feel to succeed. It would have been really easy for things to get really muddy inside their head and for them to feel a lot of pressure thinking that the most important thing to do was to win the game. And in our lives and in our world, things can get really muddy as well as we feel the expectations of everyone around us, the expectations to succeed, the expectations to, to perform. Been watching, um, well, it's hard not to, to open the newspaper these days and, and read about um, investigations that are happening in our government and finger pointing here and there, and it's this person's fault and it's that person's fault. And it gets really muddy, and you think, what, what is going on in, in people's heads that, that it's so confusing and that no one can, can accept and look at others with clear eyes and full hearts and have real conversations about what's going on? And of course, we know all the answers. It's politics, of course. The news has been coming out of the church, the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, uh, out of a large megachurch in Illinois in the last few weeks about pastors and priests who have abused women and young children in their care. And as a pastor myself, I, I think about what, what, what is that? How can that happen? And, and what, what do I need to do in my life so that I'm not in a place where that can happen? 
But I also know in my own profession that, that things get muddy, that, that it's hard and you're tired and, and there's so many people who are looking to you for so many different things that it can get really muddy. And I can see where, where it would be easy to start making excuses and taking little side roads out. And, and this pressure is for all of us in all of our lives, no matter where we are. It's not just the Friday Night Lights football team. So, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. It's a back-to-basics phrase that, that takes us back to, to where we need to be in our lives, in our relationship with God, in our relationship to the world. And this morning, um, we're in a back-to-basics text, one that all of us are familiar with. What does the Lord require of you? Would you pray with me? Oh God, we come to you in all of the complexity of our lives and our world, trying to sift through multiple intentions and ideas and understandings, our desire to succeed, our desire to do well, and also our desire to be your child in this world, to be ones who love faithfully, and serve others, to have clear eyes and a full heart. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing in you, your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Walter Brueggemann says that the core conflict in the prophets is a, uh, is a shift that the prophets are trying to make in the people of God from a royal consciousness to a prophetic imagination. And when we look at what a royal consciousness might be in the day and time that Micah is writing, as when there are kings and competing empires, we can think about what, what it might be like to live under that kind of regime. Where there, when there is a king and when there are people who have great power, there's patronage. There's trying to gain favor. There's this sense that, that you have to please someone who is above you. A royal consciousness um, has hierarchy. There's power, there's greed, there's favors being asked. There's the sense of earning earning someone's sight so that you can raise up. And with all of that royal consciousness comes shame. I'm not enough. I have to hide in order to present myself well. And eventually this, this sense of, of numbness where you kind of give up any sense of control in the world because it's really about these powers and so what can I do anyways? And so the prophets are, are speaking to the people of Israel over and over, trying to wake them up out of this royal consciousness, out of this numbness of, of feeling like they don't have any control, or of making it all about this game that's being played, and instead to wake them up into to a reality, a prophetic imagination, in which they can hope and dream and enact a different way of being. And so in this text, 
um, we see where, where the, um, the prophet says, what, what should you bring before God? Should you bring your best self? Should you bring your animals? Should you bring your, your well-presented Sunday best? Is, is that what God is looking for? Is God looking for a, a good um, behavior report? What does God want? All of those things that we could imagine in a royal consciousness God might want. God would want us to look good. God would want us to be well-behaved. God would want our best performance. And instead, the prophet says, no. What God wants is for you to do justice. God wants you to love kindness. God wants you to walk humbly with God. When you're in this space, doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly, things can begin to shift. You can begin to awaken out of that royal consciousness, out of that sense that everything has to be perfect or that you're trying to garner favor, and you can begin to move into a space of grace and love and compassion to actually be the person that you want to be in this world. So let's just unpack a couple of these things. Um, first of all, doing justice. In America, we have a kind of limited, often, understanding of what justice is because we think about the penal system, right? So you go, you do something wrong, the police file a report, or you go to jail, you go to court, and you get your sentence and justice is served. And that is a part of justice, but justice is so much bigger than that. And in the real um, biblical sense, justice is about the world being made right. Justice is about the way things should and can be. And so when the prophet says to, to do justice, the encouragement is to make your actions align with the way God sees the world. When you think about who God is, justice is not just getting what you deserve. Justice also includes grace and mercy and compassion and balancing the scales. Looking at where there are inequities in our world and, and considering how do my actions, how does my life change that? So whether it's, it's considering um, what, what do I do with, with the trash and the garbage in my life, the literal trash and garbage, how does all of the things that I'm throwing away in my life, how can I both reduce the amount that I'm contributing to, um, to our, our problem with garbage and our global issue with environmental waste and pollution? That is one way to do justice in my life, to just not thoughtlessly cast things off, but instead to think about how does even the things that I'm casting off, how am I doing justice there? Or looking at the ways we invest our money, the ways that, that we can think about but the inequities in the world and, and considering how can I invest in such a way that's socially responsible. Again, that's a big, complicated question, and yet to be engaged in that conversation is part of doing justice. 
Doing justice requires us to think and to be, to be citizens of the world and to, to look at others with compassion, to be in partnership with those at the bottom of the scale all the way the, to those at the top and to consider how, how am I trying to balance the inequities, being a part of that, and how do my, just my tiny choices about what to do with this jar of almond butter that I'm finished with, speaking personally yesterday. Um, what do I do with that? And as, as you begin to think about your actions and your life in this way, your eyes begin to get a little clearer and your heart begins to get a little fuller because you're acting in a way that, that is in balance with how God sees the world, with imbalance with God's hopes and dreams for the world and your prophetic imagination begins to grow over the royal consciousness of it doesn't matter, it's a big problem, who am I anyways? Secondly, love kindness. My very favorite poem is by Naomi Shihab Nye called Kindness, but she calls, she has this phrase in that where it says, the tender gravity of kindness. And she says, it's only kindness that makes sense anymore. It seems so obvious to love kindness, but it's so often that we live holding grudges, that we assume the worst of people, that we wait for someone to be kind to us instead of being kind to another person first. To love kindness is also this, takes this deep intentionality to, to get out of those patterns of, that we get so stuck on of, well, they haven't called me, or what is wrong with that person? And instead, as, as the old phrase goes, to assume everyone is fighting a great battle. And so we don't know what the other person who is driving us crazy or we completely don't understand in the very mo that very moment is going through. And yet to love kindness is to assume the best. To love kindness is to take that first step. To love kindness is to take initiation, to reach out to another person. As a pastor, uh, the longer that I am a pastor, I see how much and understand how much kindness means. How much when you're in the hospital or facing a diagnosis or have lost someone, just a small touch, a card, a phone call, a text, a touch on the arm, a, I'm thinking about you, how are you? How much kindness, that, that tender gravity of kindness matters. And when we are love, when we truly love kindness and walk in kindness in our world, our eyes get clear and our hearts get full. Lastly, walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly is to be a learner and a listener. To walk humbly is to not to know that you don't always have to have the answer. To walk humbly is to live in a space of mystery where it doesn't all have to be figured out and when you're, you're, you're encountering things that are hard to understand, to, to stay open in wonder rather than rushing to the answer or making up an answer 
To walk humbly is to know that the more you know, the more you don't know. To walk humbly is to ask forgiveness when you've crossed a line. To return over and over to God, to those closest to you, to your core values and your core commitments. Because we all stray from those. We all move. And yet to walk humbly is to day by day, step by step, to return. So, love justice. No, do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. As I'm looking at um, the news and wondering how people get from, from good intentions to allegations of abuse, how people can get from, from good-hearted um, desire to change our country and to serve our country to allegations of, of fraud and embezzlement and secrecy. I think that the answer is, is this text is this clear eyes, full heart, walking humbly with God, loving kindness, doing justice, and, the, and that sense that every day we have the opportunity to return to those simple steps. And when life gets complicated, and when things get fuzzy, and we find ourselves caught up in that royal consciousness of trying to prove ourselves, to remember that the grace of God is an invitation to always return always return to these basics. The poet David White uh, tells a story about his encounter with brother David Steindl Rost. And David White was struggling with, with what to do. He was working at a nonprofit that was doing really good work, but he, he found himself restless and uncomfortable and, and feeling like there is something more. And so he, he came to, um, to David Steindl Ross, to Brother Steindl Ross, and he said, tell me about exhaustion. And Brother Steindl Ross said to him, you know that the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. And so as we find ourselves numb and tired and needing rest from that royal consciousness, the invitation of the scripture is to return to wholeheartedness, to return to those, those very simple places of faith and following God, to the intentionality of each step, to doing justice, to loving kindness, to walking humbly with our God. This is the journey to a whole heart. Amen.